0: It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H A R B, as in boy, I N, as in Nancy, G E R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and thank you for being with us for this special edition. Of the History of World War II podcast. Today we're going to talk with writer and author Jack L. High, who has just come out with his latest book. I believe it was released yesterday um, The Nazi and the Psychiatrist, Herman Goering, Dr. Douglas M. Kelly, and A Fatal Meeting of Minds at the End of World War II. So, Mr. L. High, thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Ray, for having me here.
0: I really do appreciate it. So um, if we could, in the interest of just kind of jumping in there, could you give us an idea, of the, uh, an overview of your book and how, it came to, how you came to write it?
1: Sure. The Nazi and the Psychiatrist is about the intersection of two lives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One is the life of Hermann Goering, who I'm sure is familiar to all of your listeners. Uh, he was one of the top Nazi leaders, uh, Chief of the Luftwaffe, held many other uh, titles and positions in the in the Nazi German government. And then the second person involved in this intersection is Dr. Douglas M. Kelly, who was a U.S. Army psychiatrist assigned a couple months after the end of the war to meet with and examine the uh, Nazi the top Nazi prisoners. Those. Who are going to be tried for war war crimes and crimes against humanity? Right. So, so the book is about what happened when Dr. Kelly arrived uh, first in Luxembourg, Luxembourg, where many of the Nazi captives were held, and then later in Nuremberg, and uh, how he developed a plan, which was quite beyond what his his mili- military orders were. Uh, his, his orders were were simply to evaluate the Nazis uh, mm. to see if they were fit to stand trial, mentally right. fit to stand trial. But he developed his own plan, a private scheme, to, to take advantage of this opportunity he had with the men who were commonly re- regarded at that time as the criminals of the century. Yeah. To see if, uh, to, to not just examine them, but to interview them in depth test them using various psychological assessments available at the time to see if they shared any uh, psycho- psychological disorders or whether Dr. Kelly could identify a Nazi personality or a type of Nazi mind that these men shared. So the book covers, uh, covers all of that and then follows uh, after uh, Goering's um, death, suicide, uh, covers Dr. Kelly's life over the next 12 years mm-hmm. um, and his spiral downward and how this encounter with the Nazis affected his life and, and finally resulted in his own suicide on New Year's Day in 1958.
0: Wow. And um, I think the way that you, well, I guess, maybe stumbled upon the, um, the resources that you used for the story is a pretty amazing story in itself.
1: It is. It's an unusual story for the beginnings of a book, I have to say. Mm-hmm. It all began with my previous book. Uh, I had previously written a book called The Lobotomist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That was a biography of the psychiatrist and neurologist who developed and championed lobotomy as a treatment for psychiatric illness. Wow. But one of this doctor's side interests, besides lobotomy, was the study of his fellow psychiatrists who had taken their own lives. And so uh, so he had written some about doctors who had committed, uh, psychiatrists who had committed suicide.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I re- read it, what he wrote, and one of the people he wrote about was Douglas M. Kelly. And in fact, the two men had met in the late 1930s at a medical convention. And what um, what the lobotomy doctor had written about Dr. Kelly really intrigued me. It was pretty sketchy, and there wasn't a lot that of information he had but it was enough to hook me and I went out uh, in search of Dr. Kelly's surviving family members and uh, found out uh, how common the family named Kelly is. There are an awful lot of Kellys out there (laughs) but but I was finally able to track down Dr. Kelly's oldest son who is himself in his 60s now and uh, hoping that the son would have something Mm -hmm. of his father's career. Maybe I hoped for a few file folders of papers or some other kinds of memorabilia. And what I found out instead when I visited the son finally was uh, that he had more than a few file folders. He had had 15 boxes of material, personal and professional papers from his dad's career, including uh, several boxes just stuffed to the brim. With materials that he had brought back from Nuremberg, including medical records of the top Nazis, psychiatric records, memos, journals, uh, his examination, his record of his examinations of the Nazis, and I realized that this really was a remarkable treasure trove of materials and that it could form the basis of a book. So that, that's how it all got started.
0: That That is amazing. So the, the son, um, and and it could be certainly understood the way his father uh, died, maybe he just didn't want to, he wanted to hold on to it but not do anything with it. Um, but it's just amazing that it was just sitting there in boxes.
1: It is. Um, I think the fact that they were, that the, all these papers still existed, the, the credit for that should go to Dr. Kelly's widow who held on to them until her death, uh, which was probably about five or six years ago, Um, maybe a little longer, maybe 10 years ago. And then uh, when she died, uh, the son inherited those papers. And uh, he was holding them. He knew they had historic value. Mm-hmm. He knew somebody would want to see them, and it was almost as if he was waiting for someone <laughs> right. to get in touch with him. And fortunately, I did at the right time.
0: That's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, so going back to something you said earlier, um, I think it's amazing that Dr. Kelly, and from what I was able to gather from your book, he certainly had a, a healthy-sized ego. He was certainly intelligent, um, very precocious. So he was going to do what the Army wanted him to do to keep these guys together, um, um, help them to make sure they could stand for trial, You know, keep everything, I guess, uh, going smoothly so they can do that. But all at the same time, he decided to sue his own personal um, Course and to try to find a Nazi mentality or a Nazi mind or just something to explain these, like you said, these, these criminal, the greatest criminals of the century. I just think it it takes a tremendous amount of ego and courage to go, I'll do your job, but I'm also going to do mine and and not tell you anything about it.
1: Right. And that was that ego and that high regard for himself Mm -hmm. was part of what attracted him to Göring. Uh, because uh, as as time unfolded in the jail at Nuremberg, and as the two men, you know, met uh, over many months, almost daily,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it became obvious. Um, I, I don't know how consciously, but uh, but uh, at least below the surface of consciousness, to Kelly that that he and Goering had had some things in common, um, and, and mainly that was their high esteem for themselves and their abilities, uh, and their, uh, the high esteem that others saw them with. And uh, that is part of the attraction, I think, that drew these two men together. It wouldn't be right to say that Kelly and Goering became friends or um, right. or buddies or anything like that, but they did draw close uh, in terms of admiration for the um, Similar qualities uh, found in each, and and that's an important part of the dynamic between these two men.
0: Yeah, that's just amazing. Um, I, do you think it would be fair to say that um, either Garen Garen had a plan going into this, or was he just trying to wing it and survive? Because he certainly saw himself as the 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 greatest living living Nazi, you know, since Hitler was gone, and he thought he would maybe be able to get out of all of this, even though he was in a jail when he was being held. But maybe he thought he could. Outswindle an intelligent person who was trained in, in psychiatry
1: yes, Goering was a master manipulator, as was Kelly and so uh, I, I'm, I believe Goering had a plan to uh, use Kelly to his advantage. He did mm-hmm. use Kelly to his advantage yeah. uh, He asked Kelly to carry letters out of the prison to uh, to Goering's wife and young daughter. Kelly did that. Um, the, he assisted Goering in other ways, he, uh, he, and he and was a, t- a two-way street because right. because Kelly uh, knew that he could get a lot from his association with Goering, that if he could um, somehow wheedle his way into this man's mind, then that would be a tremendous uh, scientific finding, something that would bring him a lot of fame and acclaim and could make his career. So what we have in this situation is two master manipulators (laughs) working at each other. And I think, you know, in the, in the best of compromises, both getting what they wanted.
0: Right. I, one of the things that impressed me about your book was you were able to give a really, I felt like I knew, Garing so much better after reading this. And, and of course, you, you uh, talk about Kelly's life as well and also the history of psychology, the Rorschach test that Kelly performed on all of them and, and the amazing responses uh, that they all gave. Um, and, I, and, of course, all this is leading up to the uh, Nuremberg trials. But he spent time with, I think, the, the top 22 surviving Nazi um, people who were getting ready for, uh, for the trials. Is that correct?
1: Right. He worked, he he examined and met with all of the defendants who were um, up for trial in in the first international tribunal. Mm -hmm. So that, right, that was 22 of them, um, and and 21 made it to trial. Um, One of them committed suicide before the trial. Hey,
0: everyone. Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill, and I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house and getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination, with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com The number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com That's Yahoo Finance com. All right. So I, I think it's amazing. So here's Kelly. He's trying to do what the army wants: keep these guys together, talk to them, keep them calm, to to analyze and make sure that they're okay to stand trial. Yeah. And then, like you said, the a uh, suicide. I think it was was a Dr. Comte who commits suicide first while in prison.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. And he was he was not among the twenty two, but he was oh, a high. Okay a Nazi medical official, and then um, a few weeks after Dr. Conti committed suicide, then Robert Ley committed suicide in prison, and he was among the 22. He was the head of the German labor front.
0: Gotcha. Um, the impression that I got after reading it was even though they were all Nazis and they were all literally out to carve out their own spheres of influence within the Nazi Empire, they were very different men in so many ways, and they and they and a lot of ways hated each other. Um, but the most one of the most interesting people in it, besides Gehring and Dr. Kelly, was um, Rudolf Hess um, and faking his entire amnesia or whatever the proper term is. Could you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Sure, um, Hess was a really unusual case in the prison because, uh, as I'm sure. Um, Uh, some of your listeners will remember, Hess flew from Germany to Britain uh, during the war, bailed out of a plane, and uh, tried, he said, to broker a peace between Germany and Great Britain. And the British uh, did not take his peace overture seriously and and imprisoned him for the duration of the war. And during that time, Hess developed uh, some odd psychiatric symptoms Amnesia, um, par- various forms of paranoia. He believed that the British were trying to poison him uh, through food, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. And he finally arrived in Nuremberg uh, in uh, September 1945, and he uh, presented to Kelly a, a really interesting case. Uh, was Hess really psychologically disordered, or was he faking it? And, um some of the book um, covers Kelly's efforts to find that out and to assess Hess and, and to figure out what was really going on in this man's mind. Eventually, Kelly uh, determined that Hess was psych- psychiatrically fit enough to stand trial and that dis- that uh, determination was supported by other psychiatrists mm. who examined Hess. But Hess's case is very, very interesting.
0: And, and just, just to kind of give a little closure to Hess, could you tell us a little, a little bit about the amazing statement, or confession, I guess you could say, that he makes during the trial? I just thought that was um, humorous, but also just very poignant in the entire story of what Kelly was trying to deal with these very manipulative men.
1: Well, uh, uh, several days into the trial, so this would be in December 1945, um, there was a session, a court session, which was focused on on uh, Hess's uh, mental state mm-hmm. and whether <clears throat> he could um, successfully and in the interests of justice stand trial, given his mental state. And, and Hess's lawyer had m- made a motion for Hess's part of the trial or, or his participation in the trial to be postponed until it could be determined whether or not he was really mentally fit to stand trial. So this session was going on, and in in the middle of that, uh, Hess had been taking notes and scribbling all kinds of things. His behavior in the courtroom was often... Uh, very erratic and bizarre mm-hmm. and and so the court uh, asked for hess 's opinion on all this, and he gave a statement which uh, flabbergasted everyone, which was that he had been faking his amnesia all this time uh, without the knowledge of his lawyer and, oh my so, God. That he, he, and so that he so that he you know he he denied all of the things all of the Lack of memories that he had professed in the months before, and yep. mm-hmm. uh, and it left everyone in the courtroom, um, <laughs> you know, just dumbfounded. So dumbfounded that many people began laughing in the courtroom right. when, they, when he concluded this speech. Anyway, the the session of the court ended right after that, and Hess went back to the uh, to the jail part of the compound and said things like, uh, uh, paraphrasing him, "Fooled you all," that sort of thing but uh, and, and he, is, he directed some of these comments toward Kelly, because Kelly, after all, was the psychiatrist who had assessed him, and right. Kelly believed that uh, regardless of what Hess told the court that hess was was not completely sound of mind, and that this type of confession uh, was in line with the kind of neuroses that he believed Hess uh. suffered from, um, and that he had predicted. That Hess might do something like this that but but H- hess's and um, mm-hmm. you know i don 't know if it's possible to say that any of these men had a sad end, um, most of them uh, had the ends that they earned and deserved, mm-hmm. but uh, Hess, because of I think a little bit of uncertainty about his mental state was was sentenced to a life sentence instead of. Um, death by Hanging and lived a very long time, many more decades, in Spandau prison uh, mm-hmm. in Germany and uh, eventually uh, took his own life um, when he was well advanced in age. And he he was examined several times along the way by other psychiatrists, including another American psychiatrist who mm-hmm. believed that S was mentally ill, uh, but the Russians, in particular, one of the four powers in control of the prison, did not want Hess released under any circumstances. Right. And and so that's how Rudolf Hess ended.
0: Yeah, his story. I mean, all the all their stories are amazing. But every time I thought I had a, a, a firm understanding of Hess, he would change. He go. He flies. He doesn't. You know, this is obviously not a, a mission sanctioned by Hitler. He flies to England. He's trying, Britain. He's trying to uh, get a peace. They don't want any part of it for uh, for Germany and Churchill. It's it's personal. It's going to go to the end, and then he fakes his amnesia and or whatever, and then he admits it at the end. So he was he was a roller coaster ride all by himself, and it was it was entertaining but sad at the same time that he was uh, so highly ranked and uh, but obviously unstable to some degree
1: right and and he really challenged Kelly's professional abilities in the in the uh, months that they had together. He was on Kelly's mind a lot wow and and I think that probably after Goering Hess was the most interesting of the prisoners, mm-hmm. to Kelly there were a, a few others who who drew a lot of his interest also uh, there was Alfred Rosenberg. Um, who, who's covered in some detail in the book? He was the uh, the man who held uh, the unofficial title of Nazi Party philosopher. He, he wrote <laughs> books and and um, was kind of the bearer of the of the Nazi Party philosophy. And another person who interested Kelly for other reasons was Julius Streicher, the anti-Semitic publisher and propagandist,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who um, was 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 scorned and uh, disdained by the other prisoners. Uh, They often would not let him sit with them or eat with them.
0: That's amazing. Would it be fair to say that these two gentlemen that you just mentioned, would it be fair to say that both or either one of them were actually true believers as opposed to um, this is the plank of our party and we're just going to do it because Hitler wants us to? Would you say that they really breathed in and, and believed the stuff that was coming out of Nazi Germany? Well,
1: Kelly believed that Rosenberg, in particular, was a true believer. Um, mm-hmm. Against he, uh, Rosenberg had laid down these philosophic and, and, and pseudo-scientific ideas about um, ab- about the Aryan race and racial purity, etc. Yeah. And uh, and Kelly believed that Rosenberg really believed them. He had repeated them so much that he had come to believe them and couldn't be moved from them. By anything at all, wow. and so their their conversations were often um, nonsensical and very frustrating to Kelly. Mm-hmm.
0: That that is amazing. Um, the what for me the most interesting part of the whole, whole book was um, when um, Kelly got permission to use the Rorschach test on the on the different Nazi leaders and what he would be able to mm-hmm. glean at that. And he had, he had done it for a while. He was. Um, I guess it's fair to say he was really good, had really experienced at interpreting the reaction from the test and be able to to gleam a lot out of um, what their response would be. Could you tell us some about that please?
1: Yes. Uh, Well, years before Kelly had enlisted in the military, uh, he had studied the Rorschach test in the late 1930s and had become um, one of the earliest American psychiatrists to advocate for the use of this test. And uh, some of your listeners may know the Rorschach test uh, involves showing showing um, patients or subjects uh, a series of cards that that were created by uh, dropping um, ink on cards and mm-hmm. then folding them in half. So they, they were truly ink blots that didn't represent any uh, anything in reality. They gotcha. were abstract abstract images. Okay. And so the idea was that. Um, by showing these to someone and asking for their response by asking them to tell what they see there since it is a purely abstract image then you can draw from the response a uh, true kernel uh, of of what is going on in that person's mind Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and uh, Kelly became very skilled at interpreting Rorschach test results and he brought the test to Nuremberg Um, I don't think it had been used much, if at all, in the U.S. military before that point and administered the test to nearly all of the top 22 Nazis. And then repeat administrations of the test were given later by Kelly and by a a psychologist who appeared a little later at the prison Mm -hmm. named Gustav Gilbert. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Kelly, uh, as I said, was expert in interpreting these results he wrote a lot of reports uh, about about what he drew from the nazis responses and they are quite interesting a few of the uh, a few of the prisoners loved taking this test during <laughs> loved taking this test and many of these all of these guys were in solitary confinement they were starved for attention from others and so right. anything like this was uh, you know sure to to make many of them happy but Uh, Some refused uh, to Mm. take part or um, gave very brief, uninformative answers. Hess was among those uh, who would just... You know, look at a, a, a card and shake his head or say there's nothing there or laugh right. and give responses like that.
0: I, um, just like Kelly, was, uh, was sucked in by Garen's charm. If you were of his family or his immediate circle, um, he would do anything for you. But um, if you were outside of that, he seemed to really not care, um, especially about the millions of people dying. Uh, But he was very charming, very bombastic. And I think in a certain way, um, Kelly kind of fell into that because I think he enjoyed, like you were saying, he enjoyed his time with Garen just as much as Garen enjoyed his time with with him. It was like the clash of two titans, two two huge egos, and two very intelligent shrewd men. And I think Kelly practiced or was very good at um, magic and uh, this whole sleight of hand. And I think they just enjoyed um, a certain... I don't know, comradeship or something when they got together in in, in Gehring's um, jail cell.
1: Exactly. I have characterized their encounters as King Kong versus Godzilla. (laughs) I I don't think I put that into the book, but that's certainly how I thought of it. And Kelly was truly confounded by uh, Gehring's uh, very evident abilities, um, that he was intelligent, one of the tests that Kelly administered um, to the Nuremberg prisoners was was the IQ test, and Goering scored among the highest. His score was 138, which is a, a very high IQ score. Mm-hmm. So Goering was clearly intelligent. He, he was charming. Uh, he was uh, socially adept. Um, he, uh, he had good uh, foresight. He could plan ahead, and Kelly was perplexed often how a man of such abilities could have committed such terrible crimes yeah. and, and the answer was that he lacked a conscience mm.
2: um,
1: he uh, although as you mentioned he, he was a devoted husband and a devoted father to his daughter um, he, and could be a, a good friend a, a, even a helpful friend to people who were close to him he did not care about anybody else and thought nothing of issuing orders that would result in the deaths of thousands of people, of being an architect of the Holocaust, which resulted in the deaths of millions of people. So this was one of the psychological puzzles that Goring presented to Kelly that he tried to um, tease apart uh, in in the years after the war.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I wish... I. As someone who tries to obey the law and be a good person, you you wish all um, criminals were idiots and and fools, but unfortunately that's not the way it works. You can be very intelligent, very cultured, but if you don't have empathy or morals, um, you're capable of doing a lot of bad things.
1: Yes, uh, and and that uh, realization was one of the things that was very upsetting to Kelly – As a result of his time at Nuremberg,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. that the qualities that he saw in the Nazi war criminals were qualities that he saw in many, many other people, including business leaders back in the United States. He believed, uh, Kelly came to believe that half the people in our country Right. capable of committing the kinds of acts that the Nazi leaders had given the right circumstances.
0: Right. That, that's, that's chilling and amazing all at the same time. So about halfway through your book, uh, and you mentioned him already, um, Dr. Gilbert comes in, and, and I think you— um, Maybe described him as an interloper at least into dr kelly 's world, but he didn 't have the same rapport with garing so he when he um, spent time with garing, I think he saw yeah he 's a general he 's smart he 's bombastic, but he wasn 't as i guess the word maybe as impressed as Dr. Kelly was. Do you think he was a little more um, uh, more clinical in his approach or his view of garing um, or maybe? He got it wrong, and Kelly got it right. I just, I'm, I just find it interesting that one doctor saw Garing one way, and one doctor saw him the other way. Uh,
1: that that is interesting. Um, Gilbert was a very different personality from Kelly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Kelly was this very outgoing, Boy Scout type. In fact, he had been an Eagle Scout uh, in his youth, and. Um, was gregarious, and um, he didn't look, uh, speaking with Kelly now, he didn't look like most people would imagine a psychiatrist would look like. Um, and and he related to people differently than most people would hmm. a psychiatrist would. So along comes Gilbert um, a little later, and his personality and um, approach is different. He is more academic in his personality and in his appearance um, and uh, Goering was just put off by him right uh, he felt that Gilbert was was trying to uh, uh, poke holes in him I think mm-hmm. uh, trying to deflate him but Gilbert's approach did appeal to to several of the other prisoners they, they preferred Gilbert over Kelly one of them was Albert Speer who uh, thought very highly of Gilbert wow. and, and and definitely preferred him to Kelly. So, the where where Gilbert and Kelly came into conflict was in how they would share all of the research and data they collected together um, in the later months um, after the war or after the trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while, they had a an agreement going to co-author a book about the Nazi prisoners and, and the Nazi mind. But then uh, Kelly broke that agreement and decided to go at it on his own and and took home with him, brought home to the States from Germany uh, uh, all his papers, including some of Gilbert's papers and research. And there was a rift that formed between the two of them um, from that time forward. And they also differed in their interpretation of the data, too. So, um, it, so two different men and Gilbert's arrival on the scene did bring some conflict to the environment.
0: Oh, right. And um, Gilbert, I believe, was Jewish, but he didn't let the prisoners know that right away. Is that correct?
1: Um, Gilbert was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he may not have disclosed it for maybe the first couple of weeks. But okay. after that, he was straightforward about it. But another advantage – so that – could be seen with some of the prisoners as a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. But a big advantage that Gilbert had over Kelly was that Gilbert was a fluent speaker of German.
0: Oh, Kelly was. gotcha. And so
1: he could communicate very freely with some of the prisoners in ways that Kelly had difficulty doing.
0: Okay. And, and during this whole time I'm reading this, I just felt absolutely sorry for the warden. Uh, Colonel, how do you say his name, Andras?
1: Yeah, to, uh, Colonel Andrews. I, I just
0: felt so sorry for him trying to keep the circus um all together without it falling apart.
1: He was one of the one of my he is one of my favorite uh, you know secondary characters mm-hmm. in the book. Um uh he he's he's a wonderful character. Uh he tr- he tried to run the prison he was the commandant of the prison and he tried to run it in a you know in a a tough but fair way and i think succeeded overall in doing that uh he used in his descriptions of what was going on at the time he used very colorful language He, he wrote a book about his experiences in nuremberg that i drew from in my research and uh you know i think every time colonel andrews um, arrives on the scene, he, he brightens it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Many of the prisoners did not like him at all. Right. They thought he was uh, an over-inflated peacock type uh, yeah. who made them salute him and uh, address him in a particular way. But but he's definitely one of the colorful figures in the book.
0: Yeah, because they were all former uh, colorful peacocks, and now they're in prison. And he's in charge, and he sees them right. for you know as war criminals, and he's going to. Because I, I mean, he wasn't just in the army. I think he this was his job. He, he had experiences as far as prisoners and beating a warden right. and stuff like that.
1: He had experience um, uh, directing military prisons.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for saying what I was trying to say, and I couldn't get it out. So, um, so, so the, so the trial goes on, and um, it, you know, obviously it takes a long time because they want to cover a lot of. And I, what I'll do for the readers is I'll I'll skip some of the trial because we don't want to tell them everything. But I really enjoyed that part. With uh, uh was it Colonel Jackson who decided to be the prosecutor? Do I have his name right, Jackson? Right,
1: Robert Jackson. Robert Jackson. He was, he was a U.S. Supreme Court justice who wow. accepted the job of. Uh, of prosecuting the war
0: criminals. Okay, so what he was able to do, and he, he the fencing that went on between him and Garin over the weeks, I just found that really amazing. And he eventually just wore gary down, who who tried to you know um, deter as much as he could. So the, so the, so the, all these men are um, tried, and I guess some of them were hung, some of them were like Hess life in prison, were some of them uh, executed by firing squad.
1: No um, okay they all the ones who were executed were hanged and um, and this was a problem for Goering who mm-hmm. believed that execution by hanging was um, demeaning uh, w- which it unquestionably is right and and asked he asked the uh, prison authorities uh, to be executed by firing squad instead but he, that request was turned down right
0: did they do they? Did the Americans, or I guess the Allies, do they choose to hang them um, purposely with the idea of not something as an um, honorable as a firing squad? Do they want them to be seen as criminals who were found guilty, or is that just the way it was done at the time?
1: I well, they were uh, they were convicted of criminal charges, mm-hmm. and, and I believe the, the four powers wanted them executed as criminals. Gotcha. Not that, but they wanted to prevent. Uh, the um, Nazis from inspiring some sort of the start of some sort of worshipful movement oh. later on, and so after the hangings, the bodies were incinerated in the in the uh, ovens at Dachau, and wow. w- were scattered after that, so that nobody could um, make a shrine around a place of burial.
0: Yeah, the irony of that just stunned me. Yeah. Th- that was absolutely amazing. Um, but then, uh, yeah, because I think Gehring was saying he totally expected to be in the history books, you know, a couple of decades as, as one of Germany's greatest heroes or leaders. And he just, I don't know if that was real or if he was losing it at the end, but the Americans were very fearful of um, uh, the post-war world. And they're trying to get Germany on their side to help face the Russians. So it was a very complex time for the Allies trying to punish, but at the same time, they have to deal with the, with the, uh, with the, uh, the Germany that is after the war.
1: And, and even the trial um, was conducted in some danger. There was very high security. There was a lot of fear that um, that renegade uh, German forces would try and break in and um, free the top Nazis. Um, and uh, Kelly recorded some um, conversations among the the prisoners during the trial, in which. Um, in which Kelly tried to rally their spirits and told them that in the future they would, there would be um, mar- marble monuments to them and <laughs> right. things like that. Uh, he, was, he wanted, Goering above all, wanted all of the defendants to present a solid uniform face to the court. Mm. He did not want anyone breaking down or admitting guilt and that that's why he exhorted them to, uh, you know, that that was in their future.
0: That's amazing. Now, okay, so um, speaking of Gary, do we know definitively how he got the poison into his cell or is it um, speculation or rumors or, you know, because even I can, I can see him at the end toying with the warden saying, I had this uh, poison in my cell the entire time and your men never found it. Even if that wasn't true, I could easily see him writing a letter like that just to taunt his, um, his captor.
1: Right. Um. Well, uh, there is a lot of speculation about what happened and how Goering managed to commit suicide the the day before mm. his scheduled hanging using cyanide ca- cyanide capsule. I believe, in, and I think um, the evidence supports a belief that Goering did have cyanide with him all along throughout mm-hmm. his entire captivity, and that he managed cleverly to hide these gla- these uh, glass vials. Uh, you know on his body or in different places, parts of his cell throughout all those months Wow. Um, and um the, there is speculation that uh among others that various people may have smuggled the poison mm-hmm. to him uh, you know whether it was a, a American guard or a visitor or one of his lawyers but uh i think he, I think he had it with him all along and uh, if he did receive assistance from, say, an American guard, it may have been in retrieving the cyanide from his belongings, uh, uh. sword belongings. But um, you know, he he was clever and determined, and he got what he wanted in the end
0: that's amazing so he he was going to see how far he could get with kelly in the trial and when it didn't work out he had his own exit strategy and he was going to stay the master of his own fate um up until the very end i, I just think it's amazing he wasn't going to go out any other way than what he wanted to do
1: yes and kelly wrote about this um afterwards because during suicide surprised kelly and shook him up quite a bit and he believed that uh, Goering had pulled off a a, a coup. Um, he had succeeded in, by taking his own life. He had succeeded in mocking the American authorities by uh, pr- presenting his death to the world in the way that was best to Goering. And he was amazed at Goering's gall and, um, and ability to that
0: off. Okay. That, yeah, that's just um, because you know he certainly admired him, and then to find out that he took his own life, um, it probably just ran counter to what he probably thought of Garing or the impression that Garing gave him. So, so what happens to Doctor Kelly after the trial and the um, and the suicide of Garing?
1: Well, uh, Kelly returned to the states and left the military during the trial. Mm-hmm. Actually, in uh, January 1946. So he was replaced at Nuremberg by another psychiatrist who who took over things from there and uh, he came home Kelly came home he was very um, shook up
2: mm-hmm. by
1: his experience in Nuremberg in the sense that the psychiatric results that he had gotten from all his tests and assessments of the prisoners were not what he expected. And uh, right. it, it caused him to do a lot of serious thinking about psychiatry and what he wanted to do with his life. And, in fact, Kelly decided to leave the practice of psychiatry after Nuremberg hmm. and become a criminologist, oh. to, to become an academic criminologist, so that, um, so that he could uh, devote more time to studying criminal behavior as opposed to psychiatric behavior. He had learned that there was a difference between the two and uh, so uh, he he taught for uh, a few years and directed a uh, psychiatric clinic at Wake Forest University in North Carolina, and then moved to the University of California at Berkeley where he he joined the School of Criminology there as right. a professor and his um, especially when he he moved to California, his life kind of jumped off the rail
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he became He began this um this agonizing spiral downward uh, he was he became a workaholic, an alcoholic he had problems in his marriage he had anger problems right uh, he couldn't he had this terrible temper that he couldn't often contain and um in the book um, my book goes into how um this is related to his time at mm-hmm. Nuremberg and the conclusions that he had drawn from his study of the Nazis. Wow, and and in the end, and I and this isn't a spoiler since I write about <laughs> it on page two of the book. Um, he he took he took his own life in front of his family wow. using the very same poison cyanide that Goering mm-hmm. had used to end his life.
0: That is uh, that's amazing. Um, d- do you think he meant for his family to see it, or did it, did it just kind of work out that way, or was he just maybe the rage? Um, who knows. Um, controlled him at that moment he uh
1: he was he was overtaken by anger and frustration and despair Mm -hmm. and you you mentioned earlier in our interview uh kelly's experience as a magician kelly was a stage magician uh, Mm -hmm. for much of his life and very good at it too and and i think that plays into the effect that he was trying to achieved when he was standing in front of his family holding the cyanide. And then he was just overtaken. Um, right. I, I, I don't want to get too much more into it because it's a it's a big part of the sure. ending, ending section of the book. And mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil anything for readers, but um, it he was an immensely complicated man, and part of his complication had been... Um, had been tied up together at Nuremberg.
0: Right. that That is absolutely amazing. And for my listeners, they know that uh, Goering was instrumental in helping Hitler rise to power because he had a lot of contacts with people that, quite frankly, Hitler did not. And I guess in some ways maybe Dr. Kelly was the one who really got inside Goering's mind, maybe more than anyone else, and... Yeah, the the connection between his time at Nuremberg and then later on in his life is really fascinating as well. Obviously, don't want to go into details. Leave that for your readers. But it was just an amazing story, and I... After, after I finished reading, I went to, went to sleep. I mean, I had dreams about Gary, and I could just picture him sitting across the table from me and, and laughing and joking and carrying on as long as I was his friend or, or he was in a good mood. And then, but then there were times when he would get angry at his, um, the other prisoners, and you could just see how he could um, order the end of someone's life, and it really wouldn't bother him that much. So he was just an amazing, um, in a very strange way, a very amazing man with uh, great depth in a good way and a bad way
1: haunting. He, he was yes. a haunting Perfect, figure. And, yeah. and I think Kelly was, is haunting, too, mm-hmm. uh, in, in his similar way, which is what drew me to the topic and made me want to write this book. I should add for your listeners that mm-hmm. uh, if anyone would like to learn more about Goering and Kelly and the, the book, uh, they can find that on my website. Okay. Uh, is it all right if I... Uh, Absolutely, please. The URL? It's, yes. it's uh, my name, Elhai, which is spelled E-L hyphen H-A-I dot com. Mm -hmm. And uh, there you'll find more information about the book, an excerpt, and a video book trailer, too.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I have to admit that in the interest of time to be able to be ready for this interview, I had to go to Audible, so I got my co- copy from Audible. So for all you people out there who commute all the time, it's also as well on, on, on Audible. And even though you didn't read it um, for Audible, which I kind of wish you had, the, uh, the reader did a very good job, and he, he really uh, took it to another level and made it very entertaining and engaging. So, so for those of you who like that, please check out Audible as well.
1: Yes, I, I agree. the uh, the The actor, the narrator, mm-hmm. who who read the Nazi and the psychiatrist, did a wonderful job, far better than I.
0: was.
1: <laughs> and well, I am glad that he did
0: it. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Now, now, did I maybe I read this wrong in preparing? But are, do you have another book coming out? I thought I read something.
1: Well, uh, I guess it's fair to say I always have another book <laughs> coming out, but because I love writing books. <laughs> But it's uh, nothing that has yet been contracted oh, okay. or, or that I should talk about. Okay, sometimes. that's fine.
0: Well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time with us. I absolutely enjoyed your book, and I learned so much. And, you know, that besides being entertained, that's what's what it's all about. And uh, I'm glad you stumbled upon those cardboard boxes of notes and, and were able to turn it into something coherent. So, th- well, yeah, go ahead.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've enjoyed talking with you about all this. And, it, it, you know, I just want to add that writing the book has been a fantastic adventure for me and part of my goal in the book was to conv- communicate that adventure you know for this remarkable story to yeah. the people who read it
0: okay so so mr jack Elhigh, thank you very much for being with us everyone check it out it's the nazi and the psychiatrist herman Gehring, dr m kelly and a fatal meeting of the minds at the end of world war ii thank you very much sir
1: Thank you Ray I appreciate it okay